0: blog
1: talk radio blog talk radio
0: this is AppSATS radio help for partners after sexual betrayal we talk about it here
1: betrayal trauma
0: we are APSATS certified clinical partner specialists and coaches who have been trained to help navigate you through this crisis there is nothing we won't talk about sometimes listeners want to know about triggers i'm dealing with the aftermath of my husband's affairs and he still works the same job that he did when he was acting out it's a job that allows him to hide his goings on and when he stated was the previous trigger for his acting out the whole 16 and a half years we've been together he's acted out in the beginning what i thought it was was just pornography um it ended up being, I found out two and a half years ago, he had been with multiple prostitutes. I only found out a very small portion of that until about a month ago. How do you cope with all of that when you still have to deal with unavoidable triggers? Well, of course you would feel... Traumatized by hearing all that information. And I gotta tell you, Stephanie, that's a staggered disclosure. That's finding out little bits and pieces about your husband's behavior throughout a time period, making you feel insecure, unsure, and unsafe. So what we gotta do is set up a situation whereby you get with a specialist to do a formal disclosure so you can hear everything at one time in a safe environment. It is so important to be able to feel safe, as safe as you possibly can in this kind of a situation. Hi, I'm Carol Jurgensen. She's a.k.a. Carol the Coach, and that's our mission at appsats to make you feel safe. And we have so many... Um, professionals that are available to you, uh, clinicians, coaches, medical people. Um, we've we've got a plethora of professionals that can help, but you have to go to appsats.org, that's apsats.org. That's a p s a t s dot org to find somebody that's close to you. And you know, fifteen years ago, there were no organizations that. We're advocates for you. So, you know, every day that I do this work, I am blessed that we are getting more and more partner specialists. And you may not know this, but the difference between a clinician and a coach is that the clinician can do the mental health where the coach can do the support and the advising and the referral making and the kind of sitting with you as you go through this crisis. Okay, so what do we got on the agenda today? Well, we're going to be talking to a woman by the name of Michelle who has a very unusual story. And she wanted to share it with you all as well as to share some of the strengths, some of the hope she has received and how she accessed that during the storm of her life. And so we've got her coming on in just a few minutes. I want to encourage you, as we did a couple of weeks ago, that if you are um, a clinician or a coach and you'd like to get more information about partner trauma, you want to kind of see what it's all about, but you don't necessarily want to dive in, you can come see us at SASH on Wednesday. And I will double-check the date since I had that wrong, but I do believe that it is on the 2nd. And we are going to be doing an all-day workshop on why it's so important to heal uh, by accessing relational skills from the people you love. And... Relational skills are kind of hard to get, so I'm going to be talking about empathy, and Lori Hall, who is the president of APSATS, is going to be talking about internal family systems, and we're just going to be really sharing with clinicians and coaches all over the world what they can do to help partner trauma and how they can dig deeper into their own families to see if there are any other parts of themselves that need to be healed. So we're really looking forward to that. That is at the SASH conference. And SASH stands for the Society for the Advancement of Sexual Health. And what I know to be true is that it is super important to be together with other professionals that, really want to make a difference in this world. So it's an opportunity for us all to get together. Now, as I'm looking, I'm right. It's October 2nd. I think it starts at 830. You can contact Jen Cole at abscess.org. Or you can contact me at carol, at carolthecoach.com, if you want more information. I know Lori opened it up to partners, too. She said, you know, if, if partners want more information, they should come to this one-day workshop, too. I don't know. I think we're charging about $99 in good old St. Louis. Um, several of several of us are presenting at the workshop, per se. This is the pre-conference workshop, You don't have to be licensed to come see us. You don't have to already have a degree. You can be in the process of education or I was talking to a woman today and she said, I want more information about partners so I can determine, is this something, an area that I'd really like to work on? I said, come to our pre-conference. We'd love to have you. We have plenty of room. So don't hesitate to inquire about that. We would love to see you there. Because what I know to be true is that it's so important as a partner who's been through this ordeal to come out of it on the other side and not to ever be thankful, per se, that they went through this. I would never go so far as to say that. But to really identify the strengths that got you through it. And so I've often said to you, You know, there are plenty of exercises that we at APSATS believe will help you to access your strengths, to see your resiliency, to know yourself better, to increase your relationship in a higher power, when a lot of times that has been horribly wounded. And so we really want you to know that we know um, that, There is more to you than you're giving yourself credit for because in so many ways you are absolutely positively in the worst place of your life. And that is so hard. And so we really want to encourage you to stay um, cognizant of who you are and what you stand for and what you believe in and when you do that you're then able to you're able to see the the blessings that have come out of you being you so you know i'm wondering if you would be able to know what has been the greatest gift of this horrendous tragedy. You know, I was talking to a woman yesterday who said, you know, I really feel like I have a much stronger connection to to my higher power. For her, it was Jesus. And she said, because ultimately, he died on the cross for my sins and he had to practice a lot of forgiveness and that's what I've had to do to be able to start off in my marriage. I had another woman last week that said to me, I decided to divorce him and to stand on my own two feet and to know that I would be okay without him and I would have never thought I could have said that. But this horrible ordeal, this crisis, this chaos taught me that I really could depend on myself and gain strength. And I did that through the help of some support. I recently was working with um, a couple whose daughter just came to them and said, hey, I would like for you to come to my counselor session. I want to talk to you about something. And this young woman was very involved in Daughters of the Battle, so she was able to gain the strength to ask her mother and father to come in. And when that happened, she said, Dad, I have known for five years about your struggles. And I have known how you've put mom through this and how you've slipped a lot and how you struggled with finding yourself. And mom, I have known and have not been able to say anything because I was afraid it would hurt you. And so this young woman who was 24 just going into grad school was able, through the support of her group and the support of her counselor, to say, I'm not going to hold this secret anymore. I'm going to share it. And wow, I thought to myself, this young woman has a voice. It is so sad that she's had to figure out what this is all about but truly she found her voice she's confronted the demon she has shared it with her parents and now she'll be able to go to them if she has questions because you know how difficult this is you know what it's like to be stressed out um, there's nothing worse And so can you imagine, let's see, I think she's 25. She was 20 when she found out. Horrible, horrible, horrible. And yet, she's somebody that that has been able to to bring it out in the open and to talk about it. That is what's so amazing. We want people to be able to talk about this because... They won't necessarily get stronger unless they do. And that is important. Now, have you been holding on to something that you haven't wanted to share? Have you been trying to figure out what should I talk about? What would work for me? You know, what what has been tugging at my heartstrings to share with somebody, but I haven't necessarily known if it's been safe. And, you know, that makes sense. You've got to make sure that there's safety before you do share. But she knew that 100% her parents would be safe enough to go to. She had seen the work they had done. She continued to read her father's journal, and what she was unwilling to do was to make them think she didn't know, and wow, that is amazing stuff when honesty occurs like that. I'm sure you all have had secrets, too, and you've wondered if your kids overheard you, if they read your diary if they read his journal. It's always very, very tough to ascertain. So you may have even asked some initial questions in hopes that you can read them right, right? That's not unusual. It's not unusual to do it all. And so today I'm really excited because Michelle is going to be sharing her honesty. I wanted to forewarn you. It could be a bit triggering, you know. Um, But at the same time, it is her story, and there will be a part of it that resonates with you. Uh, Because let's face it, you probably didn't even know anything about sexual addiction uh, before all this happened. That's what so many of my partners say. They say, I didn't even know this existed, let alone have any idea that it could happen to normal people. Um, So, I am just ever so grateful when somebody wants to share their story. It's so important to me that they get to do that. And Michelle is a very brave woman. Very brave. And That's certainly what we encourage in the office is to share your story and in support groups to share your story so that people will really know, they'll know in their hearts that they have a safe place and people will understand And I think that's why Michelle is sharing her story today. She wants to be able to talk about it, but she also wants to explain the process so that if you're going through this process, you too will understand that what you're going through is normal in a very unsafe situation. So Michelle, welcome so much to Betrayal Recovery Radio. How are you?
1: Hi. Well, I'm doing good. Thank you.
0: Absolutely, and and
1: I'm just going to start you
0: out by asking you a little bit. I'd like I'd love for you to share the beginnings of your story and and how you first, um. How this sexual addiction appeared in your life?
1: Um. Well, it appeared completely out of the blue. Uh, it was. It was um. One night, my husband just. Well, he let me know at the last minute that he had a um, business dinner, but it was a Friday night, and he told me it was at 4.30, and I believed him just like all the other business dinners that he was having. So, you know, I didn't say anything about it. I had other plans, but I, I got rid of those because he had his business dinner, and then he lets me know at 8.30 he's on his way home, and so then 12:30, he's still not home so i called every hospital in the town in the whole city and he wasn't in the hospitals but um finally he answered his phone about one o'clock came home told me some crazy story uh about what he was doing and why he was out and i was like well okay that's fine and then um the next day I'm looking at the bank account, and I see a really large lunch, and I'm like, wow, you really had a big lunch? And he says, oh, I just felt like splurging. I said, well, what did you have? Oh, well, I had French food, and I said, this is a Chinese restaurant. Well, if you don't believe me, he gets up to get his keys, and I'm leaving. So, of course, I apologized to him. Then he stayed. But that got my uh, the wheels turning. And I started thinking and then I was thinking about it. So then um, you know, I started asking little questions and I had never looked at his phone in all the years we were married and I checked and he had a Snapchat account. And I'm like, wait a minute, what's this? And um uh, I asked him about it and yeah, no, that's no big deal. I'm just friends. Uh, well, okay. And um You know, that worked for the whole summer, and he gaslighted me the whole summer while I'm trying to figure out, you know, why do you have Snapchat or why why this? Um, I'm trying to figure that out while he's telling me that, well, I needed therapy because he hated to see me like this. And then um, I had proof of a PayPal account one day, and I asked him about that, and, you know, there again, gaslighting, you know, you're crazy. So I checked all the credit card balances, and I could not believe what I was seeing. Charges here, charges there, cash withdrawals, Western Union. He came home that evening, and I asked him about that. First thing out of his mouth, I'm being blackmailed. And, and I'm like, who are you? So um, that was the. Now wait a minute. Wait
0: a minute, yeah, Michelle, that you're saying that. Yeah, so you had something happen to you that a lot of women haven't. You found out that your husband had been participating in some of this stuff, but when he said, I'm being blackmailed, you had to be utterly confused. Can you share uh, how you felt? hear about the blackmail story that I hope you'll share with our listening audience
1: well yeah I mean I still did not know that there was a sex addiction I was like you're being blackmailed what does that even mean and he said well I went to one of those massage places like what massage places and um so then he said um That he had seen a transsexual escort, had gotten a massage, and uh, was being blackmailed because this um, escort had pictures, and that it had been going on for almost three years. And so then I'm I'm questioning him more that evening, and I'm. I'm putting two and two together And I'm saying well what other massages Have you been getting Well I had an Asian massage But it was not um, Sexual And then he says I feel such a relief now I've gotten it all off my chest And I'm at peace Um, You're at peace Not me uh, I'm in mm-hmm. utter shock Disbelief I, There's, There's no peace going on in my life Uh, Who are you? You know, what what happened uh, to this happy marriage I thought I had? I thought it was perfect.
0: Um, Well, absolutely. And so you just really, it sounds like, went through the morning, and then when he got home, asking questions, trying to make um, some sense out of a crazy situation. So, So then, you know, you actually saw pictures um, of this escort or this transgender individual?
1: Yeah, that was sent to me after after I was um, contacted because I had been threatened. Uh, This person had decided to find me, to come after me, uh, to call the house to um, locate my family members, to tell them everything that was known. And I, I was—I just didn't know what to do. And my husband did nothing, just stood back and did nothing. And the only way I ended up um, ending this ordeal, because by then the money had stopped and, and this escort was angry, 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 because, you know, um, Cash Cow was over. Uh, He was, this person was getting, like, $1,000 a month. Um, So then... And can I I, ask,
0: how much was, how much you I know that you were, this person was trying to blackmail the family at that point. First it was William, but then um, when he could get no more money he decided that he would see if he couldn't stir things up by talking to you. And your husband was probably in absolute shock and feeling like you were going to walk out of the house immediately and never turn around and never look back. Was he surprised that you stayed with him?
1: I think so, and I think that's why um, he started – Googling because he he knew something was wrong and and he knew why he why am I living like this, and then he uh says to me, Well, what if it's an illness uh and And I'm telling him that why are you trying to create excuses for something you did and you need to own this? well, what if it's not my fault? What if there really is something wrong with me? And since um, I have bipolar illness, I I didn't believe it, you know, because I knew there's only certain kinds of mental illness. I had no clue exactly what sex addiction was. I had heard about it, but I was like, well, that's never going to happen to me. It's something I don't have to think about. But... So um that's when you know after this ordeal with the blackmail which I personally had to answer to and I personally had to end this situation uh it was William had decided that we needed to see a therapist and i was very angry at him well i don't need marriage therapy this is your fault this is this is on you and there's there's no coming back from this and um that we did we went to therapy and i was angry walked in the door and i couldn't believe it the minute i sat down on the sofa i just started crying i was so angry at him i didn't realize how upset I was. um... You know,
0: absolutely. One of the things I know from the many, many, many partners that I've seen is that they come in so wounded and devastated, and I always use the term, it's like they're in the fetal position on the floor because they have lost all sense of their energy, and they just really can't believe they're in a therapist's office to deal with something that was so horrific and so uncomprehensible, and so you went to the therapist and did the therapist know about sex addiction?
1: Yes, an expert the the best we could get but um and appointments were made. William was told, you need to go to five meetings. A week. He he was told he needed to discuss this with other people, and he was not very interested in that. And the funny thing is that we're talking about the fetal position while he was looking for somebody to understand him. I did go home, and at nights I cried so hard. I was in the fetal position after the children went to bed. I ended... So you, um, you held it together for the yes, kids, but yes.
0: then when it was safe enough to not burden them with your pain, you just let loose.
1: Absolutely. I um, mm-hmm. just fell to my knees just crying so hard, ended up in that fetal position then got up and was full of rage and just, you know, how could you do this to me? And... and What is wrong with you? And, you know, I I had been told this is an addiction, but that didn't matter. I I couldn't hear that. I I was overwhelmed with emotion to the point where I could not even think straight.
0: So I know that making decisions is incredibly tough, and executive functioning goes offline, and you just literally – can't think through things. I I think I used the word earlier. Everything is incomprehensible. But I'm curious, did you think about divorce?
1: Well, yes, and I was so upset because I felt like this is a man I gave my life to that I loved. And he was forcing the divorce because, well, you did this. Um, people they, that are off with other people, they have to get a divorce. And that immediately entered my mind. He was forcing me to get a divorce. I was scared. I contacted an attorney immediately. I needed to feel safe. I had a postnuptial agreement set up because I knew I couldn't compete. Uh, Financially without being married And I wanted to know That I could be taken care of And William wanted to do anything To keep the marriage And I felt like if I had this arrangement Then if I stayed with him I stayed only because I wanted to Not because I was scared financially This gave me the freedom to know I can walk away and be safe, but if I'm with you, it's because I choose to be, not because I'm scared to be.
0: Well, and, you know, you're talking about financial safety, and that is so important. And oftentimes we at APSAP, when we're working with partners, we say, you need to have an exit plan in case you're not safe or in case you decide to make the big move while while you're choosing to stay. But, you know, you and I have talked and I've heard your story and you really, despite the fact that you got this prenuptial so that you would have a safety net, a financial safety net, you also decided to make the biggest financial decision of your marital career. Can you talk about what it was like when you decided that he needed more intensive treatment.
1: Well, I could tell he was walking around in a trance. And he was okay, and I'm falling apart. And, you know, he's got this glazed lip through his eyes, and I'm I'm still falling apart. And honestly, I did not want a divorce, but I couldn't think about needing a divorce to make myself well. At this point, I looked at the man that I loved, and I'm looking at him as he's my children's father. I needed, for his sake, to be well. What kind of person am I if I'm going to let somebody that I love just be tortured? and what kind of person am i if i'm going to let the father of my children be tortured i thought that money didn't matter he needed he needed inpatient rehab and i asked him to go and initially he said no but then he agreed we both gave up we gave up so much and it wasn't giving up the money it was giving up being together on on both children's birthdays uh, on holidays and it it was the whole family gave up you know because it did affect the children But it was for well, the I was greater good ask you,
0: what how did you handle that with the kids so many partners try to decide are we honest with the kids and give them the bare level facts they don't they shouldn't have all the details that's too much for their little brains it's too much for a 17 or 18 year old brain but what did you say to the kids and how did they react because William was gone for 4 months
1: yes he came home once for a week and we did during a school um break go to see him but um he he wanted to tell the children uh, he, he just couldn't bring himself to tell the children that what what exactly was going on. I told my oldest child to so that she could understand because she was the one that was hurting the most. That daddy, daddy wasn't away because he wanted to be. It was away because he he was he wasn't feeling good, and he needed people to help him feel good. But he was also helping other people feel good too. She didn't understand. Well, why can't he do that here? Well, because everybody. Isn't here that that they all need to help each other get well? But when Daddy comes back, we're gonna be stronger than ever. And that we would make up the time that we were apart.
0: Absolutely. And so, for our listening audience, I'm talking with Michelle as she talks about what it was like to be blackmailed and kind of the steps. Of her own personal uh, journey, as well as the strengths that you that you rested on as you were getting stronger and stronger. Because wouldn't you agree? Even though you felt like you should be in the fetal position, even though you sobbed and sobbed and sobbed, when you were apart from William, it gave your brain an opportunity to rest too. So here he is getting healthier. He's at a residential treatment center that specializes in sex addiction. And you were feeling safer and safer, and it was easier for you to clear your mind and really think about what was going to be important for your future.
1: I did. I I thought this is going to wreak havoc in my life with him not in the house and not helping me parent But once I removed the problem and the stressor, I found a calmness that I didn't think was going to happen. I was able to sleep. I was able to think. I was able to be present for my children. My mind wasn't occupied. I actually even thought, hey, you know, maybe when he comes home, maybe he should have his own apartment, you know. I just thought things were going great. But I also knew he was trying to make himself better, trying to be a better person. I mean he was he was a good man he's a good person. It's not that he wasn't but this this is the worst addiction there is in my opinion
0: Well, absolutely. and so here you are. You explain to your daughter to the best of your ability that daddy went away to get healthy and he's also going to be helping other people. And then um, he came home. Well, then he needed additional treatment because William really was suffering from a lot of um, trauma that he had experienced early on in his life, and they felt like he really needed to be somewhere else. And so you agreed to extend his stay, and he went into what we call an intensive outpatient program. And he was there for how many weeks?
1: Well, that program, uh, that ended up being a nine-week program for him. And I, it was information overload for the first Part of his therapy. This gave him time to to think about re-entering society. It gave him time to uh, mm-hmm. process what he had been through because this was a this was a shock to his system. Also, but this intensive therapy is what he needed, and and he needed to do the program there because he needed to continue with the same. Uh, Ideas, the same ideology, and the same treatment. He just didn't need to be inpatient.
0: So then when he returned from inpatient, you knew that you needed to know the truth. You needed to know as much of the truth as you possibly could. So can you share with our listening audience um, what the disclosure was like for you?
1: Well, waiting for the disclosure was like waiting for another shoe to drop. I was scared. I could feel the fear running in my arms. It hurt. Um, Sitting in the room for the disclosure, waiting for it to start, I, I was terrified. Then the words started coming out of his mouth. I'm looking at him like... Who are you? I thought I knew almost everything. I did not know. I knew only like 10%. I, I've got information overload. I, I can't even process this. I'm like, what? What? You, what? I and if
0: you would, if you would, would you just, without, of course, going into any names, but would you describe... Um his out of control behavior. You already said that he had been interested in transgendered, Af- I don't think you said African-American, you, you, you're Caucasian, but they were transgendered females that were African-American and and that was a shock to your system and then you knew he had been doing massage parlors and that was a shock and there were all different types of massage parlors But what were some of the other indiscretions that, I mean, it was like he was out of control. He was not able to control himself every day. There was an encounter of some sort.
1: Yeah, it was. It it was from sneaking around to the massage parlors, which I had no clue. It it was affairs at work, you know, uh, going to work early. Wait a minute, you met somebody at work early? This doesn't make sense it was it it was as if once we got married he was off to the races he was meeting people in bars that he had no clue who they were it was enough to where he would come home and look for reasons to get mad at me and enough reasons to satisfy his addiction, so that if he was angry at me, he could look for a release. He could uh, find somebody else to make him happy in the moment. And You're happy in the moment, but then you're not happy afterwards. But the amount of, of people, the amount of partners, uh, the anonymous sex, I, I was Appalled. I was completely devastated
0: I wanted a divorce well and so here you are you're doing this disclosure and you get all this information and I know that you had shared with me that you would almost have to stop it was too much and you would ask him to repeat himself it was as if you needed to record in your head what he said again I know you said that you know you wanted to make sure you heard it right and then there was one thing that was absolutely devastating to you and where somebody else might have been, oh, it's the prostitutes or, oh, it was the escorts or, oh, it was the massage parlors. Um, The one thing that was most devastating to you was when he took away your happy place. Can you tell our listening audience about that?
1: Well, yeah, I have, uh, you know... Uh, And recreation that I enjoy uh, so much that actually my picture, I I have a picture of myself in it that I keep because I enjoy it. But mm -hmm, close to that, in that proximity, was a massage parlor. And... That had been used. And the fact that I liked that place, that was my area of town. And he had the nerve to actually contaminate my area of town that I loved. And I couldn't believe that. And I I know what you're referring to. I mean, I actually started kicking in my chair and throwing my arms in the air because that was such a betrayal and yeah
0: it's like he contaminated something that was totally yours it was your happy place it was a place that you associated your own sense of strength and purpose it provided you dopamine and all of a sudden you find out because he acted out so close to that place you would not you didn't feel like you could enjoy it anymore
1: no i I looked at it completely different i It gave me much sadness, but I continue to go to my happy place because I have to i have to for me I have to take back what's mine
0: absolutely, and so I know that you shared with me that you know during the disclosure when you got all that information. You got every bit of what you thought you knew. Um, You followed that up with being out of the house for that night and spending time with your special support group so that you had plenty of intentional self-care. And then you did special things the whole day. I mean, this is a woman who knew how to take care of herself despite the fact that she told me her therapist had to pick her up off the pavement because she she couldn't move. So I mean, hmm. you really yeah. ran the gamut of reactions. So you do get yeah, well, yeah
1: I I did. I fell down right beside my car. I couldn't drive. But um I I was that's how floored I was. And it, it was not my best moment.
0: Well, it's understandable. You were in trauma state. But the thing that amazed me was the fact that you said you met your support group, went out to dinner, you took selfies, you stayed up late, you were able to giggle and feel their love and have that good intentional self-care at the worst moment of your
1: life. Yes, but I knew the worst moment was coming, and that's why I suggested, hey, why don't we just have a little party for me afterwards? I took a bath. I cleaned myself up because I felt dirty. I felt disgusting. I felt shame. And I washed it off. I knew I had limited time because they were coming, And I knew they weren't going to judge me. And as dirty as I felt, I I felt like my marriage was a sham and I was so embarrassed. They weren't going to judge me. And they did not judge me. And they accepted me, even though I felt so bad. But they loved me.
0: Yeah, they definitely sounded like they loved you through it. So the next morning you go to the polygraph um, test. And I'm I'm wondering, do you need to take a breath? I mean, it sounds like that really made you sad when you talked about love.
1: It did because I didn't feel like he loved me. My friends did. But he, I, I felt like I had lost Has loved this man that i trusted more than anybody in the world this, this man that i looked in the eyes of that i thought i put him on a pedestal and this man had betrayed our entire marriage i felt like the marriage was a sham but the fact that my friends loved me was more than i could have ever dreamed for because i knew i was not alone
0: Oh, absolutely, and that is so important important for partners to understand. Now, I know we only have about eight minutes, so let our listening audience know, what did you find out at the the polygraph test? Did he fail or did he pass?
1: No, he passed. He passed 100%, and in fact, the um, person that runs the polygraphs, really didn't even have to read the papers afterwards because he passed that well. My husband chose, he chose serenity over the addiction. He went to rehab and took it seriously. He did the work. He did the task. He focused 100% on it. I was hurt, but he, he did did not take it lightly. He was serious to become sober, and he showed that Mm -hmm. in the polygraph.
0: Yes, And, and I know you were saying that after the polygraph, it's now time to figure out that new life, that new life that's, you know, you're kind of walking on eggshells wondering each day, Will you be able to sustain it? So tell our listening audience what that was like to develop the new life.
1: Well, um, that might be the hardest part because I look at him like a, a traitor, and he looks at me like I love you, and I look at him again. I love you, but how could you? And he looks at me like I love you. He has been the model husband. He has been this person that's so nice to me who had spent years being upset with me, never really acting happy with me. And here's this man willing to do just generous. I I mean, you know, help out with the dishes and just... Being genuinely nice, he's being present in our marriage. He's being present with the children, like in the moment, engaging with us. I had never seen this in him. Maybe maybe I, I, I did first couple years of marriage, and I know that the first couple years of marriage he was sober. So, but that had been so long ago, I forgot. And he's. Treating me like I'm a queen, and I'm looking at him like, who are you? Because I did not trust this new person. This new person, there's no, com- I can't complain about. He's honest. He's truthful. I mean, honest and truthful is the same thing. It's just I'm so overwhelmed at how honest he is. How he listens. He shows me empathy now. I'm not used to
0: well, and You had shared a story with me that, you know, he's present for the kids. He's teaching his son how to play ball. He's taking his daughter to and from. I mean, he's he's really being an active parent. And I know that makes you feel good. Now, for our listening audience, again, it hasn't been all perfect. You know, most. Undoubtedly, Michelle said, even though he passed the polygraph test, she got some information from his boss. They both did that. There had been some acting out that had occurred at work that that her boss found out, or his boss had found out about. And so, it almost puts you back into a state, according to you, right? You said, "Boy, I I went back to that trauma state when I found that out." Is that correct?
1: Well, it hurt, and, you know, it it was not surprising, but I could also read who this new person was, and this new person was being truthful, and this new person was willing to show me the work, And in life, you have to forgive, and I truly believe that, and and I believe in God, and I believe sitting in church with my minister talking about the Lord's Prayer, and if you believe in that, then you want to be forgiven in that manner. You have to be able to forgive who has done wrong against you, and I'm like thinking to myself, I never really paid attention, and that is what I'm saying over and over again, and it hit me hard. I have to be able to do that too, and uh, I have to move forward with forgiveness.
0: I think forgiveness is the hardest thing, and want to make sure our listening audience knows that that was something that Michelle felt. And if you don't feel that you can forgive, that's okay, too. Everybody has their own um, capacity or ability to react in a certain way. But for Michelle, that really helped her. And
1: well,
0: so even yes, though he's been modification.
1: Not yeah. I'm not done. I haven't forgiven completely. But I'm working on it.
0: Absolutely. So now I want to know, how is life at home like now? It's been many, 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 many months. You said he's still in good recovery. You're going to your support group. You're both in therapy. Um, What would you tell our listening audience about the aftermath? How are you doing today?
1: I think today I'm still trying to learn who this man is because not only is it about the the sexual addiction, it's about what it's done to our household. It, it's about our financial um, deficits. It's about the lies, the everyday lies, the lies that are insignificant because it wasn't just about... Lies about the addiction so my Point is I'm trying To get to know him I'm wanting to get to know him We are having fun together And We go out as a family together And we do fun things Pick strawberries together something that Would not have happened before
0: Well and those little things mean All the world Um to a couple that is in recovery. Now, one of the things that I tell so many of the families that I work with is that those polygraph tests, if, if you can have two or three polygraph tests a year for years one through three at least, it helps everybody stay accountable and it helps build the partner's safety. Um, and, and so I want to encourage... Encourage our listening audience to know that when you don't know and when you're walking on eggshells and you're looking for the lights, but it sure looks like he's in good recovery, that can be something that absolutely reinforces the work he's doing. So, Michelle, we have to end for today, but if you had one mission for strength, hope, and recovery that you'd like to give our audience, what would you say?
1: Well, I would say forgiveness is not about letting your partner off the hook. Forgiveness is letting your soul heal. And forgiveness is about giving your happiness to yourself back, giving the love back to yourself. And it's not about forgetting what happened, but it's taking control of your life back.
0: That's a beautiful ending to an incredible story. And thank you so much for sharing your hope, strength, and recovery. The courage that it took, you did a fabulous job of going really slow because, you know, when somebody's traumatized, um, this kind of information can be very, very triggering. So, Michelle, I, I thank you for contacting me and being willing to do this incredible work. You are a strong partner, and I wish you the best.
1: Okay. Well, and thank you for your time, and, and I do hope that I am able to help some other people.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. All right. You tell William he's doing a good job, too. And we'll we'll um, hope that you can contact, contact us a year from now and continue on with your story.
1: That sounds like a deal.
0: Okay. Talk to you later.
1: Okay, thank you.
0: So obviously you can see that she went through um, incredible, incredible uh, tragedy and crisis, and she did it. She made it. It's very, very inspiring to see somebody go through that. Um, I know you have your own story, and it may sound just like Michelle's, or it may be a little bit different. But what I know to be true is that when you put the work and the healing and you get to the right people, you can really end up learning from this kind of tragedy and seeing the strength within you. Don't doubt yourself. And as I always say at the end of every show, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, there will only be one of you at all times. Fearlessly have the courage to be yourself by taking care of you, lots of intentional self care, and reaching out for support. Just like the addict, you can't do it alone. Make it a good one, and we'll talk again next week. I'll see you later.
1: For more information, go to absats.org, the Association of Partners of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists, to find a professional in your area who is trained to help you after sexual betrayal.